You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Monday, May the 1st, the start of a new week, a classic week. It's Coronation Week. We'll be hearing about the King and the Queen Consort's horse in a few moments' time. 2,000 guineas Saturday, 1,000 guineas Sunday. We've got the Kentucky Derby Saturday as well. We'll be talking to trainer Keith DeZormo at the end of the show. But first of all, with the Phillies Classic at Newmarket in mind, the 1,000 guineas Sunday, we need to know about the participation of Tahira that has been open to question right up until now. Today's confirmation stage. I've been on the phone to trainer Dermot Weld, and this is what he's had to say. Yeah, well, we've, we've left her in at the forward stage for the 1,000 guineas on Sunday, and the present plan and present thoughts are that she will run, but we'll make, obviously, a definite decision later in the week, see how she is. I mean, last time we chatted, it was all to do with well-being, and conditions were, were, were not the issue. Is that still the case? I think that's still the case, to be quite honest with you. Just as I said, she, she's coming all the time. She's a filly that hasn't really grown from two to three, but um, I'm, I'm happy. I think she's progressed nicely over the last two weeks, and the present thoughts is that we'd let her take her chance. We will not confirm that till, till the middle of the week, until later in the week. That was Dermot World with welcome news to start the week, to start a classic week, which also begins with David Yates, newsboy from the Daily Mirror, and that enlivens the Kipco 1000 guineas, David, the likelihood that last season's star two-year-old filly will take her chance on the Roly Mile, which was far from certain a couple of weeks back. It really does enliven it. I think the first thing to point out with this, Nick, is that when some trainers say, oh, the horse isn't a definite runner, with certain trainers, I think we can take that with something of a pinch of salt. But I don't think that's the case with Dermot Weld. In the past, he's given warnings about um, horses and big races, and he's been true to his word. In Tahira's case, it was not a question of the going on the Roly Mile. Remember that uh, that victory at the Curra last September in the Moigles Stud Stakes was gained on soft ground, but the going wasn't a problem. It was just simply whether he felt she was ready. Um, he was open to the idea of running in the Irish 1,000 guineas instead, but it's a massive shot in the arm to the classic that uh, Tahira is going to run here. She stepped up from that win at Galway in July to beat Meditate at Group 1 level. Uh, going from a maiden to a, a Group 1 is a, a fair jump, as we know, and she took it in her stride. Um, if we look at the, the anti-post lists for the 1,000 guineas, we've got some good fillies there. The likes of Meditate, the chief victim in the Moyglare Stud Stakes, went on to win at the Breeders' Cup. We've got Mama's Girl, who flew home to win the Nell Gwyn. Remarkey uh, is a, a, a filly who I think still has an enormous upside after uh, that victory in the Fred Darling at Newbury. But with respect to all those fillies, it's Tahira is the, who is the star act here. She's unbeaten. As I say, she went from a maiden to score at the highest level and do so in really emphatic style. Uh, she's, a, 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 as you would expect from the Aga Khan, a, a really well-bred filly too. And it, it's a, a real shot in the arm to the 2000 Guineas that the star act is going to be there next Sunday. So the Guineas this weekend coincides with the coronation 
of uh, Their Majesties the King and the Queen Consort. And I think there was a, a hope within racing that perhaps they would be represented in the Kipco 2000 Guineas on the day by the uh, Son of Night of Thunder. Slip of the pen trained by John and Thady Gosden. Um, racing manager John Warren is, is with me now. John, what's the plan with, with Slip of the pen? Are we going to see a, a royal runner on Coronation Day in a classic? Well, I think we were all hoping for that to be the case, um, Nick, especially um, uh, because it would have been um, both the King and Queen Consort's first classic runner. Um, But I think once we pieced all the jigsaw together and started to really um, uh, analyse his prospects, I think we thought it's come a little bit too soon. He's quite an inexperienced horse. He didn't run as a two-year-old, so... He's only just um, really learning how to use his legs as far as he needs to. And um, with two races only on the all-weather, although he's done it impressively, and John Golson thinks he's up to um, uh, uh, becoming a high-class performer, I think when we added it all together, I think we thought that it may be kinder for the horse just to give him a little bit more experience. And... um, He'll do some important race course gallops. And as a consequence, because he's held in high regard, there's a possibility that we will not discount looking at the French Guineas, which is probably a less complicated track. Well, if you're drawn well, of course, that helps. But um, it's a less complicated track than Newmarket with the sort of undulations and... um, ridges and um, dip and what have you. So I think there's a possibility that um, John Dawson is going to be next step aiming him towards seeing whether um, we can get into the French Guineas. And uh, people will, will remember, if they, are, if they are old enough to remember, that um, Her Late Majesty the Queen had great success in, in French classic, famously herself. Yes, yes, with yes, with Dom Fermin. Um and um oh sorry, with uh Heiklet, rather in the, in, the, in the French French Oaks. Yeah, of course. So it would be it will be good, but it's a bit early days to be firm on the plan, but that as you know in racing it's every, the benchmarks happen every single day. But here we are sort of two weeks out from that and that's what we're looking at and of course um um if we don't actually end up making it for one various reason or another. There is the Heron Stakes that follows a few days later, Sandown, and um, with the objective that one way or another, uh, all roads to Ascot, which would be great when um, we're hoping that the King and the Queen Consort will be able to attend racing that week, which would be tremendous to give them um, a few runners that week. So in that sense, really, it's... um, uh pretty much doing what you were, were doing for, for Her Late Majesty, which is to try and focus attention very much on, on the Royal Meeting and having that representation there. Yes, and of course, you, you know only too well that there's no point having a runner for a runner's sake, but um, the trainers are all tremendous at trying to pick the horses and aim the horses all so that they are at their best at that moment and you know not using it to learn because very often... With young three-year-olds, you're still trying to get your heads around their trips and on their ground conditions and what have you. So take getting all the ducks in the row and learning as much as you can before you get horses to Ascot is quite a key part of the learning curve. And, um, and yeah, yeah, very much uh, very much always trying to get horses, probably like everyone, trying to get horses that, are, that weren't going there to, 
to enjoy a week's racing. Uh, I was a very, very striking image you you painted um, last autumn when the Queen died, and you 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 were, you were interviewed, and you said that you, one of the last things she did with the horses was to have a look at the the young stock, and you got them all taken down to to Windsor so she could see them, and you just looked at them and said, "Wow, this is as good a." This is as good a bunch of horses as uh, uh, that have uh, might race in the Royal Colours for a long time. I mean, are you still are you still sort of uh, of that mindset? Well, here we are in just May, I suppose, of their two-year-old careers, um, and um, as you know, everyone's optimistic this time of year. But they're beautifully red bunch of horses the trainers seem to be thrilled with them and there's a lot of un- undertone excitement that you know if there's a chance um of um hitting a jackpot their horses that could go all the way the way they're bred so yeah we're i think the feedback from the trainers is really positive and um everyone's everyone who breeds horses is in the game of trying to find that elusive particularly good one but luckily i think both the king, queen consort, and the late queen are so pragmatic about, you know, aiming for group one horses because we, because we all know how complicated and difficult it is to get there. And so few horses ever do get there. But to get horses that are competing at the highest level and um, giving, you know, giving 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 us all a, a chance to help provide them with a really good horse or even Saturday horses as we call them um, is what we all aspire to and um, there's a great team behind it wonderful team at the Royal Studs and all the trainers and all the staff behind it everyone is rooting and right behind trying to help everything in their power to achieve good horses for them which would be you know wonderful if they can start their career as owners with with a bit of a bang so fingers crossed uh, no bigger bang than the derby is there is there a genuine derby contender amongst that little clutch of entries do you think this year um we'll we're about to find out i think sir michael stout's got a lovely cult called circle of fire who won on his second start at salisbury very impressively ryan rode him that day and was very impressed and um ryan rode him in a piece of work this spring and uh, between him and Sir Michael, they uh, were impressed enough to think that he should be aimed towards the Derby trial route. Um, unfortunately, Sandown was called off last week with ground, but uh, which he was going to go in for the classic trial. But now we're aiming to put him in at Newmarket this week um, in a stakes race on Friday, really to find out of what calibre we're dealing with. Um, as you know, the top trainers don't try their horses at home per se. So um, the race course has to do the talking. But I think he's a, a stakes horse in the making and what level will be revealed when he gets on the track and perhaps Friday will give us one step closer to finding out whether we're involved with a very important horse or just a you know a very, very nice horse. So yeah, it's an exciting prospect. John, thanks for your time this morning. Not all. Bye Nick. John Warren, racing manager to their majesties, the King and the Queen Consort, with news of slip of the pen. There will be plenty who will be sad that there isn't a Royal Classic runner on Coronation Day, because I guess it would have been uh, quite a neat turn of events, David. But they shouldn't be discouraged by what John Warren was saying. Clearly, the French Guineas is is on the agenda. And, and if not, then the Heron Stakes, followed by the St. James's Palace, a route that John and Thady Gosden have used effectively before. So... Uh, there's going to be some good horses in these silks this season and, and quite a bit of interest by the sounds of it. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, obviously, 
King Charles III, as he will be on Saturday, and uh, the Queen Consort Camilla have something important in their diary uh, this weekend. But as you say, it would have added a, a great deal of interest if we'd seen slip of the pen at Newmarket. Um, I I've listened to um, various opinions about how well uh, the way that the horse, this horse moves would have um, been suited to the dip in the Colts Classic. And that may have been in their minds when they decided to, to go... Uh, to Longchamp instead, but yeah, it's 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 a shame that he's not there. Obviously, he's a, a, a really exciting horse. He's two from two and looked a, a certainly a, a group horse in the making. I don't know which number uh, group, but when winning um, for the second time at, at Sandown three weeks ago, we won't have him. But it's a it's an interesting one, the two thousand guineas because. Whilst with the news of Tahira running in the 1,000, I think we've got a star act there. We've certainly got a potential star act in Auguste Rodin. But I, I wonder this year whether the Aidan O'Brien, the, the, the two horses at the head of the betting, Auguste Rodin and Little Big Bear, I wonder whether the Roly Mile will be uh, too far for one and too short for the other. It's interesting to see how that's going to pan out. Um, Chaldean, of course, unseated Frankie de Tory very early on in the Greenham a week last Saturday, but we've got the likes of Sakir and Royal Scotsman in there as well. What is interesting and, and what is for sure, as you say, is that much has been written over the last year or I suppose nine months about how what what the the position with royal runners would look like after the death of Queen Elizabeth II last September. And it's what is clear, it seems, is that not only are they going to be a presence, but they're still going to be a presence at the highest level too. So that's very encouraging. It certainly uh, gives us something to write and talk about. We won't see slip of the pen at Newmarket, but we will see him later in the season. And it'll be certainly to the, the benefit of the sport as a whole if he can make an impression, if not at the highest level, then very close to it. Well, Saturday was a day of great sadness for, for me personally, but for, for many of you who will have met and known Richard Aston, who very sadly died at the age of, of 68. Uh, Richard was a, a towering figure in the world of, of bloodstock and, and breeding, particularly with national hunt mares. But he, he was a man of great knowledge, great humility, great humour and enormous insight and wisdom. And he was extremely young for, for, for even 68. And he's been taken from us far too soon after a, a brief battle with cancer. His great friend David Minton uh, joins me now. Um, Minty, Richard was a, a very special man. We'll, we'll miss him enormously, won't we? Oh, yes. I mean, he, uh, he, he was a, a wonderful person, really. I've known him all my life really because my father used to uh, ride his grandfather's pointer pointers so we sort of roughly grew up together more than anything we got to know each other Richard was a very competent horseman in his own right he rode winners and point pointing and hunter chasing and they commentated a bit and then of course he, of course he set up golf with Sally which has become a tower of strength in the in the national uh, business um, both at Doncaster and at the Derby sale where they topped it regularly. Uh, 
golfers does become a, a byword for quality and you only had to spend a bit of time with with Richard and, and with Sally and to, to go to their place to, to see why absolutely uh, meticulous pristine attention to detail always always striving for for perfection oh yes always Sally was is absolutely meticulous with what she does and 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 Richard Richard although he was quiet and he, he just got on with it he loved driving his horse box he loved driving his tractor in fact his horse box he was still doing journeys down to studs and uh, seven barrows in the beginning of March, which was amazing. And he, and he, he used to leave at got unearthly hours in the morning and, and be back having had one mare covered by Nathaniel, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they, 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 were, they, were, they were really hard workers, real hard workers. And, of course, then he went on. He, he was, became he was a, a director of Chester for eight years. And then he was chairman of Bangor and still was um, until Saturday, yes. And if you were to 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 sum Richard up in a in a few sentences as a as a man, we we know what he what he achieved within within the profession and the influence he had and the, and the legacy he leaves. But uh, as a as a guy, how would you sum him up? Uh, thoughtful, quiet, um, often left things to the last minute. In fact, we did did, did nickname him um, lastminute.com occasionally, um, but uh, a really Deep thinking, uh, top man, top man, and and national hunt breeding, particularly in in Great Britain, we know it's a we know it's a labour of love. We know that it, it it's not easy to to get results. You've got to be you've got to be passionate and you've got to be committed. Oh, you're very committed, and of course he, he then he used sent a lot of mares to France as well recently, which we used to have some trips to Deauville. And uh, he used no risk at all, which is, was proved a great success. And and also he had the, the flat side. We mustn't forget because they used to board Alan. They still do board Alan Belshaw's Times of Wigan mares, and of course they sold a mare for over two million at mm. the December sales last year. And of course they bred a um, a Breeders' Cup winner. Yeah, um, newspaper of record. With, exactly. Exactly. So they, 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 his knowledge was everywhere, really. Superb jumpers, as you say, a Breeders' Cup winner, a director of race courses, a chair of race courses, very active in the Thoroughbred Breeders Association. Um, Minty, our thoughts very much with with Sally and uh, and with their son Charlie. Yes, exactly. I mean, uh, deep thoughts. I'm off to see them later on this afternoon. David Minton there on uh, his great friend Richard Aston, who was such a notable influence on the world of British bloodstock and who has very sadly died at the age of 68. David Yates rejoins me to look at the rest of today's news and investigative journalist in Ireland Paul Kimmage has been putting horse racing under his microscope once again. This is the latest in a series of articles he's written, many of which have um, been associated with what he refers to as doping in horse racing. And he, again, targets the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory uh, Board um, for what he perceives to be their um, lack of focus on this issue. What is particularly in his sights this time, Dave? Yeah, as you say, this is a um, another revisit uh, to 
racing by Paul Kimmage. These pieces are always very, very readable. Um, I don't think they take us much closer to the, the, the mythical smoking gun. In this case, um, he starts the piece with Dr. Lynn Hillier, of course, who was uh, appointed Irish Racing's head of anti-doping in September 2016. Um, in in a, 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 one of the first interviews she gave, she said her job is not essentially to catch people, but to assure the Irish racing, the Irish public and the wider international audience that Irish racing is clean and there are no drugs involved. Um, Paul Kimmage then cuts to coverage of the Punchestown Festival and the, the the rather chummy nature of racing, broadcasting, lots of first names, references and all that jazz. Um, he then talks about uh, a correspondence he's had with William Jones. Now, um, people who aren't familiar with William Jones, William Jones was uh, for nine years an employee of the Coolmore Stud. Uh, then having left that, he wrote... Uh, the Black Horse Inside Coolmore, which of course was a um, a, a a critical uh, assessment, of, a, a book which was critical of practices within Coolmore. Um, now, in this case, we were uh, focusing on Ferranilli, uh, the the horse who won the Grade One Champion Chase at Leopardstown last week. This horse was one of three horses in the care of Elmarie Holden at the start of his career. Uh, she trained Sir Gerhard before selling him on, and also trained John Bon uh, before selling him on. Of course, both of those. Uh, sold for big money to uh, huge connections within uh, the jumping world. Now, Ferranelli was one of three horses who showed traces of clenbuterol after being tested at her yard in Kilkenny on February the 8th, 2022. Um, the case came to a conclusion at the IHRB on March the 1st this year, and she was fined €3,000 by the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board. The issue with the application of um, clenbuterol. This is a drug that, when used properly, is uh, for the treatment of horses with respiratory problems. Obviously, athletes also use clenbuterol, but it also has um, the um, a, a role in in if used improperly of building up muscle mass. Now. In this case, the IHRB have stressed that clenbuterol can be um, given on the advice of uh, veterinary staff, but it has to be to treat respiratory problems. And if it's not, then there has to be documentation in place that shows that clenbuterol has been used properly. In this case, uh, Elmery Holden's vet, Dr. Oscar Mazzarello, uh, confirmed that Ventilpulmin, a trade name for clenbuterol, had been administered uh, to treat coughing and nasal discharge in three horses for three months uh, from September 2021. The point that Paul Kimmage makes is that in this instance, the records were evidently lacking, which is why there was the fine, and that €3,000 was something of a of a measly punishment for those records not being in place. Um, he, he concludes with the fact that since 2016, uh, under uh, Lynn Hillier's watch, no trainers have had their licences revoked for doping offences. So I don't really know how far the how further 
we are with this, Nick. Obviously, on the one hand, Paul Kimmage is quite right, I think, to make a criticism that um, the, 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 the fine handed out uh, to Elmery Holden could have been a lot beefier. But I suppose that a, a point that we were talking about before we came on air, which is that at least it shows that the testers are, are arriving at a yard, which is certainly not one of the big name yards, but but produces uh, big name horses. And in that sense, uh, they, they're, they're on top of things, at least in that regard. It's interesting this, because I, I think that Paul Kimmage has made lots of good points here, um, but I, I don't necessarily read them as a criticism of the IHRB relative to how they were. I mean, what, what it's showing is that there is now retrospective hair testing. So, so horses are being hair tested and then samples are, uh, and, and uh, substances are being tested for retrospectively, which has clearly got to be a good thing and it's clearly got to be a deterrent, particularly if people are misusing substances in young and developing horses early on in their careers. Secondly, we've got out-of-competition testing or testing of horses not in licensed premises at any given time, which has got to be a, a good thing. As I said, horses that early in their careers in developmental stages where it's often very important and horses might be getting an unfair advantage and a, a proper inspection of medical records. All those things are good. As you say, what might not be a sufficient deterrent is the size of, of, of the fine given. And maybe that is is where he's he's got his, his central point. But I think certainly relative to a, to a lot of the um, editorial that he's come out with in the last couple of years, I, I I think this is I think this is quite an important one. I think that all that you, you've said is correct, and I think that Paul Kimmage would probably acknowledge that as well. And I, I you know I, I don't want to speak for him, but I suppose the money shot in this is that his his point is yeah, well it's all very well and good having the resources and the commitment and the policy of out of competition testing younger horses etc cetera, etc cetera, all that's fine it's all very laudable but it's of no great use if at the end of that process the judicial process arrives at a 3000 euro fine which is an insufficient deterrent for those who might transgress in the yeah. future I, I, I suppose that's the that's the nub of the piece exactly. and for all that um for, for all that progress has definitely uh, been made at the end of that judicial process you know the the wheels of justice have to turn don't they and paul kimmage's view and i don't think it's an unfair one is that uh, they're not turning uh, with sufficient strength and and in, uh, the the punishments are, are, are a bit too wimpy we continue our build-up to the kentucky derby now the 149th run for the Roses. Churchill Downs this Saturday, where I will be on duty for NBC flying out tomorrow. Taking another look at a key contender. In conjunction with our friends at uh, Qatar Racing, who are an increasing global force, including in the United States, where they had the Breeders' Cup winner Caravelle last year. And today, uh, under the microscope, we are putting keith desormo's confidence game keith who was second in the kentucky derby with exaggerator a few years ago breeders cup winning trainer brother of hall of fame rider kent and son of the late harris desormo who lost his life uh, only last saturday april the 22nd at the age of 80 himself the founder of acadiana downs bush track and very much the founder of an important racing dynasty so i put in a call to to keith 
who clearly would dearly love nothing more than to honour his late father by winning the Kentucky Derby and asked him uh, how he was feeling ahead of this year's race and confidence game. Getting here is the pressure-filled part, the tough part, the, 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 the training, all the things we have to uh, do, the hoops we have to jump through in order to get qualified for the Derby. That's the tough part. Once you're in... Uh, you know, I'd like to think we get into a uh, celebratory mode. Uh, the, in the, in the industry is celebrating as a whole. Uh, all of the uh, America and, the, and you know, horse racing fans in the, in the whole world uh, are, are uh, interested in this race. And uh, it's just a great time, obviously, for the industry to come together and celebrate what we are. Now, confidence game is a horse that's got a that's got a shot. Um, why did you lay him off since the the Rebel Stakes at Oakland? Because it's not necessarily what what convention would have dictated, but but you reckon it's going to work for you? Yeah, um, uh, logistics played the biggest part, you know, uh, and the fact that after that race, it seemed like just the shipping and the weather change from hot springs to new orleans you know we were there for a few days it was in the 40s we get to new orleans it's in the 80s in february and it was stayed that way for a few days it zapped my horse pretty good so i knew i would give him a real easy two weeks uh to recover from the rebel and when i cranked him back up again and was basically ready to go again then it was time to leave it was time to leave new orleans and get to uh, louisville that means i would have had to run him right in the middle of the shipping and acclimation process of which I don't think that was a good thing either. So um, I chose to work him into the race and I feel very confident that that was the right decision because the horse is fresh. Uh, he, he's also very fit. He's not the type of horse that carries a, a, a lot of weight. He puts a huge effort in his works. So I'm, I'm very uh confident again i use his name again that uh, fitness is not an issue and there's a little bit of a parallel with the horse that you finished second in in this race uh, exaggerator because like exaggerator confidence game was quite well conditioned as a as a two-year-old with a you know five five starts at two exaggerator had six starts at two has that informed your decision a little bit as well you know you've given him the street wisdom as a young horse if you like for sure. Uh, but the difference was, uh, I guess, exaggerated. It seemed to me uh, a much more heavier race coming into the uh, Derby. He, he won the Santa Anita Derby, which was only four weeks out at the time. Uh, also had run two other times in the uh, course of the year in the San Vicente and the Bob Lewis. So he was much more heavily raced. Uh, but yeah, as a two-year-old, campaigned pretty stoutly. And uh, great foundation on both of those horses. And, and is that you think Confidence Games' big attribute here that he that he's got a bit of toughness? Yeah, and and I don't know if you researched the pedigree that uh, deeply yet. Uh, not the pedigree, but past performances. He broke his maiden uh, at Churchill on his second start. Uh, he so he had two starts as a maiden, and then he won. He ran in a stake, the Iroquois, and then won in a other than. So he's got four races, three at a route, or two at a route over the Churchill surface. Yeah, we've got a bit of a home field advantage. And of course, you've got some some home connections as well. You've got the Don't Tell My Wife stables, but they're they're joined by an ownership contingent from Louisville as well. Just tell me about all the guys that are involved in this horse. 
I don't know the new guys that well. Ocean Reef Racing, Billy Painter is the uh, principal. Uh, haven't even met him in person yet. Over, only on the over the phone. Seems like a very enthusiastic owner, and I hope he lets me buy horses for him in the future. If Billy hears that, <laughs> now now he knows. Uh, of course, the don't tell my wife stable of Kirk Godby and uh, Robert Slack are are old friends. I've known Kirk since the uh, mid nineties, early nineties, and uh, we've been fast friends since then. And when Kirk decided to get involved in the uh, horse racing about twenty years ago, of course, I was his man, and it's been nothing but a fun and successful ride ever since. And you mentioned the the pedigree of this horse, and. I have actually done a little research into the pedigree and it throws up really quite a striking name because the dam of this horse, Ebluissant, is a, a half-sister to the, the mighty Zenyatta. So it's all there. It's it's all there, isn't it? Yes, it is. Along with the fact that Ebluissant is, is by Bernardini, who's one of the hottest uh, broodmare sires there. So that ability to get the classic distance is glaring in that pedigree. And you've got a little candy ride on top, which is no bad thing either. No, sir. So, feeling good. Um, is it comparable to how you felt when you came into the race with Exaggerator? Could you could you give me an idea as to, to sort of how you're feeling now compared to how you were feeling then? Huh. Well, Exaggerator came in as the second choice. Mm. And I'm coming off of a high-flying win in the Santa Anita Derby. Uh there might have been, uh, yes, we knew we had a chance, and I was a little, not necessarily shell-shocked, but my first derby, I was uh, pumped up, man. I was excited, and uh, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to compare those two. Uh, you know, your second-choice morning line, Santa Anita Derby winner four weeks out, whereas this, uh, I'm, I think I'm coming in a little bit under the radar, uh, 10 weeks out, trying to do something a little, uh, unconventional so it's a different feeling but the fact that this is my fourth derby is helping yeah. me enjoy it and uh, I say under the radio but uh, after that Saturday work I think you'll be on uh, more people's uh, yeah. to-do list <laughs> all right well we've concentrated largely on Europe and the United States so far in this edition, but it would be remiss of us not to head east. Well, frankly, it's always remiss of us not to head east. There's so much good stuff happening uh, in the Eastern Hemisphere, and much of that is documented on the excellent Asian Racing Report. If you are a Twitter user, at Asian Racing Rep, all one word, otherwise AsianRacingReport.com, and their founder and editor, Michael Cox, is with me now. Uh, Michael, I, I was particularly struck by a piece that you've written this morning, which is headlined, Here's Hoping Hong Kong's Heroes Usher in a New Era. This is off the back of uh, Golden 60s victory, uh, amongst others, at the weekend, but also casting an eye forward to Japan in the autumn and another great Hong Kong hero, Romantic Warrior, perhaps taking on Equinox. The scene is becoming yet more vibrant um, but for Hong Kong, this is a very important time. You feel in in their in their racing. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Nick. I, I do. I, I think we've got three really strong horses at the moment in Hong Kong in in three different divisions in the sprint mile and middle distance. Lucky Swainess winning the sprint yesterday, Golden Sixty, of course, in the mile category, but Romantic Warrior in the QE two Cup. Yeah, and I I think that it's just time post COVID. 
there was a time a decade ago and I was lucky enough to be covering Hong Kong racing in an era where uh, Hong Kong trainers and owners wanted to take on the world, you know, and they and they did things for the sport of it. You know, we saw horses head to places where the prize money probably didn't cover the expenses of travel uh, just to see if they could, you know, um, Rich Tapestry going to the Breeders' Cup and uh, comes to mind winning a grade one in America. You know, Abel Friend, even though he he failed at, at Royal Ascot, the, the fact that he went and put Hong Kong in the news on an overseas show. And I, I think now is the time that the Hong Kong horses need to go out and, and it'd be great for world racing and great for Hong Kong racing as well. So Romantic Warrior versus Equinox is what you're teeing up in the autumn in the in the Tenno show. I saw Equinox in Dubai was absolutely blown away by what he could do, but Romantic Warrior's been brilliant in Hong Kong. How would you read a clash between those two? How would you envisage it panning out? Well, firstly, I'd say that they're, they're picking a fight up in division. Like if I wanted to go and test a 2,000-meter a horse from Hong Kong and, and win some money, I'd be thinking more a, a Queen Elizabeth Stakes in Australia and picking off some of those weak group ones at middle distance rather than head straight into the, I think Mick Kinane described it as heading into the lion's den, uh, going to a Japanese group one 2,000 meters. Uh Wow, he's picked a fight, is what I would say, but really exciting and good on them. You know, it, it's um, he'll be going there as the underdog. Uh, horses are gelding. There's there's no financial loss in being beaten. Maybe a, a slight loss of face, but I'd say on home turf, like uh, you know, taking on the Japanese, it, it's something that less and less horses have done. As a, as I wrote today, um, as the Japanese continue to become stronger and stronger, it's. Um, so how would I read it? He's definitely the underdog. Um, it's been a long time since a, you know, a Hong Kong horse was competitive at a mile, at, uh, let alone 2,000 metres. Werther went close in a, in a Group 1. So, look, maybe. He's the best middle-distance horse probably uh, Hong Kong has, has had for quite a while. So good luck on them for trying. You touched upon Hong Kong Jockey Club CEO Winfred Engelbrecht Breskers. We've heard a lot about him in in the UK, particularly in the last year or so, uh, and he's now no doubt the the most powerful racing executive in, in in global horse racing. He wants more international horses in Hong Kong, particularly from Britain and Ireland. He normally gets what he wants. Is he going to get them? Do you think this time? I I, I hope so. I don't want to give the impression that uh, what he's saying isn't right. I, I do think for the good of racing in general that uh, it would be nice to see Northern Hemisphere horses, European, British, Irish, to to come and take on uh, Hong Kong's best and, and to to start sending a higher-caliber horse to Asia. Um, look, there might be, you know, the, the big game-changer in uh, recent times as Winfred's moved up to be IFHA chairman uh there's also the the fact that the hong kong jockey club now have world pool races Th these provide a big kick in uh basically a free kick financially for these race meetings in um in britain you know do the do the hong kong jockey club feel like they could wield that as a point of influence to start to try to get officials uh racing administrators to encourage better horses to travel to hong kong uh Look, I would like to see it, but I guess what I'm suggesting in the column today, like the line I use, be the change you want to be. Let's see the Hong Kong horses get out and about like the Japanese do. You know, it's not 
I think there is a bit of establishment thinking from from Europe and Britain that that uh, Asia is not somewhere that you need to go to prove yourself. But how long before it is before Japanese horses take the chance to go and travel to other places? Uh, you know, it does prove something. It proves the durability. It proves the horse's temperament. It's a great test of a horse's ability to be able to travel in this day and age. So I, I don't think that establishment thinking is going to be one that is handed over easily. And, and I think Hong Kong horses probably and Hong Kong's best horses have to go and prove it and take it by force, you know, and change the, the way of thinking. Zach Purton doesn't need to prove himself to anybody. Uh, he's a brilliant rider, and it sounds as though he's going to be rolling around again, according to your according to your Asian Racing report. He's going to go around again in Hong Kong next season. Yes, he is going to go around in Hong Kong for one more season. After a lot of speculation about his retirement over the last two years, you know, he hasn't done. He's admitted himself. He hasn't done himself many favors in in stoking that speculation by just dropping the R word, retirement, whenever. He found he's very candid in interviews and a great person to deal with as from a media perspective. Zach, he does shoot from the hip, though, and uh, he was good enough to the jockey club to leave his announcement until after this week, so he wasn't hogging the limelight, but he gave us something to write about today. One more season at least in Hong Kong, but with a lot more freedom granted to the to his um, ability to go and take rides elsewhere. Miss meetings, potentially. Miss uh, potentially sections of the season to be able to go and ride in big race meetings overseas. He mentioned the ARC. He mentions the Japan Cup uh, in our story today. You know, I, I think for a long time, the the jockey club, in the in the height of the Joe Marrera versus Zach Purton rivalry, these guys became um, hugely in demand for their services uh, overseas. And, and a real turning point was, I think, 2017, Joe Marrera had a fall on Melbourne Cup Day on the undercard. And was injured. He missed a meeting, and the jockey club. These guys are pretty precious commodities to the jockey club. They drive turnover. They're well known to, you know, a lot of punters in Hong Kong follow the jockeys. They're on the favourites. They're a huge guide to the market, and and the jockey club really tightened up on how many meet, uh, race meetings uh, Zach Purton and Joe Marrera, the guys who are most likely to be asked to go and ride overseas, were able to ride. Then COVID hit, and they weren't able to travel at all, come and go, uh, due to the strict border policies but now it seems like with Joe Marrera's departure I think the jockey club as noted by Purton today has has opened up and and uh it's it's ideas around this um knowing probably that they were going to lose Zach Purton it seemed he's asked them for some more freedom and and it's been granted uh there'll be more to come too I guess we haven't heard many specifics on what Zach's plans are but um you know, we've got a story tomorrow there from our chief journalist, David Morgan, that people can check out, just um, expanding a little bit on what Zach's plans might be. I think it's great for the Hong Kong Jockey Club, just like it's great for the horses to go and travel. I think Zach Purton, wherever he goes in the world, will be known as he's an Australian jockey, but he's also Hong Kong's five-time champion jockey, and he is um, representing Hong Kong. So good news for Zach, but I think good news for the Jockey Club as well. Okay, thanks to Michael, to Keith, to David, to John, and to Dermot at the beginning of the show. David Yates is still with me and has a tip for you. Busy show, Dave.
Indeed. Packed programme. And I hope we can end it with a winner. 5.25 at Kempton. The Racing TV handicap hurdle, King's Threshold, made a winning handicap debut at Exeter 20 days ago. Now goes up to three miles. I think that will help Emma Lavelle's six-year-old to overcome a four-pound rise in the weights. 5.25 race at Kempton Park. Selection is number two, King's Threshold. David, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Monday, May the 1st. We will see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.